Good morning. Sorry for the delay. There's a lot of wires back there. <sighs> I discovered backstage that I am an, a, a nervous extrovert. <laughs> I had an epiphany. <laughs> uh, so I don't mind necessarily talking, but it still makes me crazy nervous. So anyway, that was just funny. Um, hey, open up your Bibles with me to the book of Daniel chapter 6. I have a note here to talk slow for our interpreter, Ray. I will try to do that as best I can. And thank you so much for being here. Daniel chapter 6. Today we are concluding the first half of Daniel. So we have been learning what? Anybody have a clue what we've been learning? It's up there. God is moving. Amen. He is moving. Yep, he was moving in, Dan in Daniel and he is moving now. We've been learning how to live as exiles in a fallen world, right? That ought to sound familiar at this point. We say it about every week. Just as the Israelites were supposed to live in Babylon as exiles, we are learning how to do that as well. So I just have a question from the beginning of the study. Maybe you might remember this. Why was Israel in Babylon in the first place? Disobedience. Thanks, Rick. Appreciate it, man. Disobedience. Now, they, it's not like they just disobeyed one time. They didn't just have a bad spell. They had turned away from God in their hearts, right? They no longer felt remorse for the sin that they were committing. And they actually excelled in wickedness. It's a scary place to be. And in particular, they had turned away to worship other gods, foreign gods. And they had become just like the nations around them that they were supposed to drive out, right? Certain parts of the Old Testament say they were even worse than their pagan neighbors. And we're talking about God's chosen people. So God had told Israel in the book of Deuteronomy that he would bless them abundantly if they would remain faithful to him, if they would love him with their whole heart. Every man and warrior, guys, I hope those verses are still floating around in your head. The greatest commandment in the whole Bible is to love God with your whole heart, right? And there's tremendous blessing in that. But God told Israel specifically, if you are unfaithful to me, then there are curses instead of blessings. And that included being taken captive by foreign enemies. So that's why Israel was, Israel was exiled in Babylon. They had ignored God's warnings. They took advantage of his patience because he is very patient. Like I said, it wasn't just one little sin. It was a lifestyle. They had completely turned away from him. And they were getting what he said would happen. But one of the many beauties about God, even in the Old Testament, he's still the same, isn't he? He's still a God of kindness and patience. I think in Micah it says that he delights in, in showing mercy, which means he delights in not giving people what they deserve. Yay? Whew. I am so, so thankful for that. So, he told the people... Of Israel in that same chapter, you got blessings if you obey and are faithful, curses if you turn away from me. But 
He said that if they would turn back to him, even in the land which they were exiled to, and they would once again become faithful to him with their whole heart, he would have mercy. That's good news. It was never God's intention to wipe out Israel. He didn't want them to stay captive. He wanted them to learn from his discipline, right? He wanted them to realize that he really was better than whatever they were chasing after. And so, if they would repent, God would once again have mercy on them. And Daniel knew this, didn't he? As you can think about the past five chapters we've studied, he mourned for Israel's sin. We're going to see that in a later chapter. He knew that if they would just be faithful, God was able to rescue them. He was able. And it was something, like Pastor Mike said, they needed to hear it over and over and over again because Human beings are prone to forget, right? Anybody else like that? Yeah, I see some head nods. We're prone to forget. We're prone to forget the goodness of God. So this week, the main point is still the same. As we look at Daniel chapter 6, did somebody say what? Is that Andy? Is that you? <laughs> Heckling. True statement. I love it. God, even in Daniel and the lion's den, which is what we're going to study today, he is still able to rescue those who remain faithful to him. I don't need to make it any more complex. We've got to be faithful to God. Israel needed to get faithful with God again. Having trouble speaking, sorry. And God is always able to rescue. Does that mean that he always will? Survey says no. <laughs> no, not necessarily. Because if you remember in chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they said to King Nebuchadnezzar, our God is able to rescue us from the fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if he doesn't, we still won't bow down to this idol you set up. They didn't presume on God to act, but they trusted that he was able. And if it was according to God's will, then of course they would be rescued. The key is that they were faithful, regardless of the outcome. God is still able to rescue those who remain faithful to him. And that's what we'll see in Daniel chapter 6. So in classic exposition mode, we're going to try to think about it first, how Israel would have perceived this story, the whole narrative as a story. What were they going to learn from it? And that'll help us just to think about how all believers also can apply this to themselves, including us now. So let's pray one more time. This is a house of prayer, and then we'll get into the narrative. Father, what a privilege to be here. I pray for your will to happen right now. We need your spirit. We need your wisdom. There's nothing I can do to understand this text better or for any of us here to understand it unless you move. So we just pray, give us wisdom, give us humility, and a clear path to what to do with this text. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Daniel chapter 6, verse 1. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. Everyone say satraps. I don't know if you're saying it right, but that's how I'm saying it today. So we'll talk about what those are in a minute. Verse 2, And over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel 
became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So if you remember last week, Darius is this new king in Babylon. I'll give you a very quick Reader's Digest of last week. Are you ready? Yes, David, we're ready. That's the proper response. I'm sure you are. So the previous king, Belshazzar, threw a big party. He got drunk, saw a human hand appear, write this judgment on the wall, his judgment, and then Daniel interprets the judgment. The judgment comes to pass that very night. Belshazzar is killed, and then this Darius, the Mede, takes over the kingdom. Confused? Daniel chapter 5 is awaiting your study at home. You can also check it out online. It was a great, great message last week from Pastor Mike. We save all those. So uh, that's what happened last week. So now we've got this new king, Darius, with this freshly acquired kingdom. And he appoints 120 satraps. And those, these are just guys who are in charge of security and collecting tribute, which is very important to King Darius. So he has 120 guys to do that throughout the whole kingdom. And then we have above them three high officials. And we shouldn't be surprised to see Daniel in the three high officials because the king saw an excellent spirit in him. That's a common theme. We've been repeating that over the last five chapters. Everybody knows Daniel's got this excellent spirit. Or at least they always end up finding out. So he wants to then set Daniel higher than he's ever been before as second in command over the entire kingdom. And just a side note, what a good reminder to the Israelites to be faithful in their work, even in exile, right? Just because they were in exile didn't mean that they could slack off. It was probably difficult to slack off as exiles. But still, working with excellence, that's a great trait. That's a great trait for any of us, right? What does uh, Paul say in Colossians says, in everything that you do, in word or deed, do it all for what? The glory of God, right? Even in exile. And if anyone ever had a good excuse to, like, do a poor job because of poor leadership, it was Daniel. So may we be like Daniel, right? And have that good work ethic no matter who's in charge. Side note over. So... Um, well, skip that part. I already said it. Sorry, folks. <laughs> I don't like reading the script, but I think today I need to stick to the script. So we're going to look at verse 4. Oh, verse 4. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Okay. So the guys that Daniel is serving with and serving over are jealous. Jealous of his success. They're looking for something, anything, to discredit him from having this high position. But they couldn't find anything. And why? Verse 4 tells us because he was faithful. You're going to hear that word a few different times today. He was faithful. And clearly, he was more faithful than any of them were, right? So, their jealousy led them to treachery. Look at verse 5. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless 
We find it in connection with the law of his God. Ugh, doesn't that just feel gross? They can't find anything wrong with him according to their law. Nothing. So what do they have to do? Bend the rules. Got to take something about his faith and make it illegal. They came up with a plan. Verse 6. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O oh, King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes a petition to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. What? I hope you catch my oily tone. This sleazy, jealous flattery that's going on. They're saying to the king that he should make a 30-day law that all requests made by anyone should be directed straight to the king and no one else, not to an official, not to a satrap, and less, not even a god. The king was to be the only one getting requests or petitions. And seriously, if anyone didn't follow the law, they would be fed to the lions. Who has lions? Just thought of that question. That's really weird. Why do you have just a den of lions anyway? So it's nuts. It's crazy. And it very much resembles King Nebuchadnezzar, right? If you don't bow down to my giant idol, then you're going in the furnace. We're going to cook you. Verse 8. Now, O king, still the sleazy guys talking. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. The officials and the satraps wanted to make sure that this couldn't come back. There was no way to go back from this law. So King Darius, he might have thought, hey, this is my new kingdom. This is a great political move, right? I can unite the kingdom under my law. And um, because, like, traditionally, if the king said that something was going to be done, it was as good as done, right? And he wants to be in that status because if he, it doesn't mean he couldn't change his mind. He could, but then it would mar his credibility, right? And that wouldn't be in his best interest. So that's why he gives in. These officials and satraps are appealing to his ego, using flattery, making him to even have more authority than a god, at least for 30 days. And they said that they had full agreement from all the governors and prefects and counselors as well. Well, did we read anything about governors and prefects? They didn't, at least as far as we can tell, they probably didn't go to anybody else except themselves. And so at best, they're being sarcastic. At worst, they're just lying. And the king is so caught up in his own ego, he doesn't realize that his most trusted official, Daniel, isn't at the meeting. Come on, king, don't you want to know what your number two guy thinks about all this? But he was blinded by flattery and pride. Another side note, quick side note. This is a great example of why it's important to guard yourself against things like flattery, right, and pride, which can lead to hasty, unwise decisions, possibly regret, because King Darius was being used, and he didn't even know it. He was being manipulated. Look at verse 9. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. End of discussion. It's done. The trap is set. 
So let's look at Daniel's response in verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber, open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. So Daniel hears about the document, and the first thing he does is do what he's always done, pray. And it says he went up in his house where the windows were open towards Jerusalem. This wasn't because he wanted to be caught. This wasn't some bold move of Daniel saying, hey, I'm going to pray and make sure everyone sees me. Instead, it was a symbol of praying in the temple of Jerusalem. And if he couldn't be there physically, he could symbolically pray towards it. That was actually something talked about in 1 Kings chapter 8. So if you want to do, if you're a note taker, 1 Kings chapter 8, you can scan that chapter looking for praying towards Jerusalem. But that's all I'm going to say about that. Praying with windows open towards Jerusalem is not something that we need to be doing today as modern believers. In fact, Jesus says what? When you pray, go into an inner room and close the door. And the one who, your heavenly father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So, the point is not to be seen by others when we pray. The point is to be faithful to God no matter who's watching. All right? Sound good? So you don't have to go home and open up your windows and start praying in the direction of the east. Right? Is everybody clear on that? Like, so just th- the point is to be faithful in prayer no matter who's watching. Faithful to God. Especially when you have to choose between obeying man and God. The officials and satraps knew this was Daniel's lifestyle. They knew it. They knew they would catch him praying to God. And what a great thing to be known for, right? May we be like that too. May we be known for being faithful to God and also faithful in prayer in any season, especially before the difficulties, right? Because that was Daniel's pattern. This is what he always did. So these evil men, of course, find Daniel praying, as he always does, and they immediately go to the king. First, they double-check that the law the king passed can't be changed, as if they didn't already know. And the king, still unaware of what they were really up to, says, Yes, of course, I said it. It's done. It won't be changed. And then they reveal what they really want. Verse 13. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Not just once, three times. Never mind that Daniel has such an excellent spirit that he has distinguished himself above all of them, and the king wants to put him over the entire kingdom. Never mind the fact that they couldn't find a single reason to complain against him in regards to their own law. They didn't bring that up. Suddenly, the king realizes that he has been duped. He's been cornered. Look at verse 14. Look at how he reacts. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. He was trying to find some way, any way, any loophole, so that Daniel could be spared. 
like he worked every bit as hard as they did just to find something wrong with him. And the king now is trying to work as hard as he can to find a way out of this. But the officials say, "Uh, uh, uh-uh-uh. Remember, anything the king says can't be taken back, and you are, in fact, the king. Your word is law, except for now, right? I jest because this is just a horrible, comically horrible situation. It reminds me of signing up for something with fine print. Anyone ever do that? You're all, most of you are adults. You know what this is like. They make that so small and so long. Anyone ever read word for word to fine print? I know you, you, if you know who you are, you can raise your hand. Nobody. <laughs> See? I try my best to skim those things. But the thing is, like, they can put whatever they want in there. And now King Darius is a victim of the unspoken fine print. And he really does go through with it. Verse 16. And the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel... May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. In his mind, the king has done all he can do. He realizes that if there's any hope for Daniel, it will have to come from his God. He puts a stone over the den, which is likely a request from his officials, so that there was truly no chance of escape. The king spent the night in great distress refusing to eat and with no sleep. All he could think about was Daniel. Clearly, he cared deeply about Daniel. Daniel wasn't just an official. He was a friend. And now the king can see that all along, this wasn't about him being greater than a god for 30 days. This was about jealousy and treachery. And he was simply a means to an end. Let's see what happens next in verse 19. Then... At break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, it's going to get a little loud, Oh, Daniel, servant of the living God. He's trying to holler through the stone, right? Servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Not expecting to hear anything back. Verse 21, then Daniel says to the king, a little muffled because he's under the stone, still with the lions. O king, live forever! May my God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths. And they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I've done no harm. Verse 23, Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Absolutely amazing. I love the fact that it's not just a children's story. This is history. Daniel was set up perfectly for certain death. And the plan had come together so well, right? But now, here he is without even a scratch on him. Daniel said he was found blameless before God. And he emphasizes that before you, O king, I've done no harm. I did deserve this. 
Daniel was faithful to God in the midst of certain death, and God rescued him, not only from his betrayers, but from the mouths of the lions. This entire story is just reemphasizing what we've been learning all along. Even in the midst of exile, God is able to rescue those who are faithful to him. It's like a plea to Israel. Don't forget. Repent. Come back. And God will still have mercy. And unfortunately for the officials and the satraps, their sin found them out. And their plan backfired. Verse 24. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Let it be known that that was King Darius's command, not God's. And this isn't the main point, but it's worth noting the lesson that can be learned from these officials. Deception is never a good idea. Amen? That's a long lesson to learn. I, as a kid, I felt like lying was like second nature. And getting in trouble for lying was also second nature. But it takes a while to learn, and it can follow you into adulthood. And the older you are, the bigger the consequences, the more it affects others. And so let this, let this just be a warning to all of us to stay out of that stuff, stay out of deception, just live in the light, because it's not really gain. It, eventually it's loss, and it can be a great loss, and it can affect others. So I only say that because that's part of the story. And just in case you really needed to hear that today, then heed the word of the Lord today. Okay, Get out of deception. Do what you got to do. Okay, back to the main point. This entire story is a testimony of a man who witnessed time and time again the miraculous rescue of the living God. Daniel was innocent, yet he was set up, he was sentenced to what appeared to be certain death, but God did not allow the plan to succeed. God is able to rescue from deceit and treachery. And God had a greater purpose than just rescue. He used this whole situation to turn the heart of King Darius to himself. Verse 25. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell on the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God. Enduring forever, his kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. This is King Darius we're talking about, the guy who wanted people to pray to him. Darius now recognized God for who he really was, the living God. The one who reigns forever and has all things in his hands. So now Darius made a new decree, a much better decree, for everyone to tremble and fear before the living God. And we know many times in the Bible you see that word fear. It's talking about awe and reverence and respect. Tremble and fear before the living God. God used Daniel's suffering to change the heart of the king. And as we know from previous chapters... This is not the first time God used Daniel to change the heart of a king. 
I think this is a great encouragement to remember that God can use our suffering as an opportunity to bring others to himself. It's an encouragement to be patient and hang in there. Be faithful with the opportunities that God has given you, even if you don't really understand what he's doing or why things are happening the way they are. Because Daniel would probably never have chosen those circumstances that he had to go through. I don't think he would have picked the lion's den. But because of those things and his faithfulness, God changed the heart of a pagan king. So may we also be faithful. Be faithful in our own suffering because we've got plenty of it, right? God has a purpose for that. We don't know what it is. We may never know what it is. But once in a while, you get to see it. It may be just for a couple people like Daniel was used for a couple kings. King Nebuchadnezzar and King Darius. I don't know who your Nebuchadnezzar and Darius are. But hang in there. God uses all of our circumstances for his glory, and he can use it to change people's hearts. So there's a couple takeaways from this story and the first half of the book of Daniel as a whole. First, I think it's recognizing that if we're ever in a place like Israel, where we are reaping what we sowed, we are experiencing consequences for our sin against God, just know that it's not too late, right? Israel had gotten about as far away from God as they possibly could. And yet, here in Babylon, we see his favor coming to the faithful, those who were repenting over their sin, right? Daniel, in particular, mourning over the sin of Israel and being an example of how to actually get favor in your enemy's land. And I've, I've done horrible things in my life, too. Anybody else? You don't have to raise your hand. You know in your heart, if you're there, I've, got, I've done horrible things. I didn't always want to please God with my life, right? So if you're here and you recognize, yeah, I've done some terrible things, just know that it's not too late. If you have breath in your lungs, brain still functioning enough to understand what I'm saying right now, and you feel this burning in your heart, I need to be right with God. I've sinned against God. Don't ignore that. That's, what, that's why we are here. It's for Christians to be strengthened and for those who don't know God to know him. You can know him. So as simple as it is, if you, if you want to talk more about that after the service is over, come on up here. Talk with me. I'm sure there will be other believers around. Maybe you came with someone today. I don't know. But uh, just don't ignore those kinds of things. That's a gift to realize I'm, I'm in trouble with God and I need help. So that's, that's one takeaway end up like Israel, it's not too late. Let's do something about that. And the other thing is just a, rem a reminder to be faithful to God and just to know that no matter what you face, maybe it's a, maybe it's a lion's den, but it, maybe it's something different. God, is God still able to rescue? Is God still able to rescue guys? He's the same God. He's the same God. So no matter what we go through, just be faithful. And yes, it's a struggle sometimes. We're not perfect at this thing. Daniel, as, as all, the, all the good we read about Daniel, doesn't mean that he was a perfect guy, but he was faithful to his God. And he had a heart that was his. He loved God. And so let's be like that. Just simply, what's required of us? Simply just to trust him. And let's always remember that even if our circumstances ultimately lead us to death, God forbid that they do, but sometimes that happens, 
Guys, if we are in Christ, man, what happens after death? Glory. Eternity with God. Forever. As bad as things get and things are terrible here on earth, there's an end to that. And then it's glory and it's joy in the presence of the Lord forever. That's for those who are in Christ. That's what awaits us, guys. And let's remember that no matter what happens, the worst that could happen to us happened. Where did it happen? On the cross. The worst thing, not just being killed on a cross, which was awful enough, but Jesus took the wrath of God on himself so that it would never touch us. Wrath doesn't await us. Eternity and glory with the Lord. So let's always remember eternity in the midst of the things that we go through. Let's be faithful. Let's be faithful to our risen Savior, Jesus, no matter where it leads. And that is what, in my humble opinion, I think we can learn from Daniel chapter 6 and Daniel part 1. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much once again for your word. It is clear. We don't have to dress it up. You are the same, and you are faithful to us, Lord, even when we are unfaithful to you. So I pray for every single person in this room, Lord, that you would just rekindle our faith, strengthen us, spur us on. Having our faith is the most important thing, and there are so many distractions, so many concerns and worries, yet you are still here with us, and you are still able to rescue. Help us trust, and I pray you would make us fruitful, just like Daniel was, no matter what life is throwing at us right now. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.